0: Hello everyone, how are you doing and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will show where we have the discussions that inform, entertain, and empower educators to be the change. I am your host, Dr. Will, uh, and I am here with Jennifer Abrams. How are you doing, Jennifer?
1: I'm doing terrific, Dr. Will. How are you?
0: Quite well. Thanks for asking. My summer break is almost over with. I I just cannot (gasps) believe it. I'm... I need two more weeks, I need two more weeks.
1: Where will you be going? You're going right back to work?
0: I am going back to, to, to work. Uh, we'll, I'll have to get my that've come in, uh, mm-hmm. get those re-enrolled, and then we're, we're jumping into our summer boot camp for teachers. Uh, but I can use just two more extra weeks in addition <laughs> to the two weeks I have left. If I, you know, I can yeah. use that. You use that. I could
1: appreciate that.
0: Awesome, awesome. So people, we will be talking about uh, communication and developing people. And uh, I've been wanting uh, to do this show. Uh, Jennifer has written a lot about uh, communication, uh, some awesome things. And so it's going to be awesome hmm. to get like, have her uh, to share uh, with us today. Uh, so for those who are watching the show, will you please introduce yourself?
1: Me or yes. anybody else? Okay. <laughs> Me and you, honey. My yeah. name is Jennifer Abrams. I am a... Um, I'm a communications consultant, primarily working in education. I do work in healthcare and in other service industries. And I was a high school English teacher. I was a new teacher coach. And then I became a consultant and I started writing. And uh, my first book was Having Hard Conversations. My second book was The Multi Generational Workplace Communicate, Collaborate, and Create Community. And my third uh, last year was Hard Conversations Unpacked, the who's, the when's, and the what if's. And I've got a new book in the pipeline that I'm writing as we speak, uh, Swimming in the Deep End. How do you swim in the deep end? What leadership skills do you need to actually kind of do the, the hard work? So that's what I'm doing now. And I'm traveling and talking to people like you. And it's, it's been a really awesome journey.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, very much for being a guest on the show. Uh, so let's just get into it. I know every school provides professional learning, but very actually very few actually provide professional development.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Please explain what professional development means to you and what is your process for assisting individuals and in maximizing their talents and abilities.
1: Um. I think that, yeah, professional learning and professional development are, are different in this way. I, I really go back to the um, constructive developmental theory of, of Robert Keegan, who is now retired from Harvard, but he and Lisa lasko uh started this idea. Well, they didn't start this idea, but this idea that we need to get from sort of right-wrong uh, kind of stuff. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. And grow yourself uh, in a particular way. And and I want to give a shout out to Ellie Drago Severson, who took his work and really started to work on the development of adults and has just written a book with Jessica Bloom Stefano called Tell Me So I Can Hear You. And I think that what they're trying to do is to talk about when you first are in a particular situation, and and things change regardless, I mean, contextually, you might be like, just tell me how to get it done. Just tell me the right. Tell me the wrong. But that isn't professional development. To me, that's just sort of managing kind of the the sandbox. If we're going to develop people, we got to move them from that to a little bit more of, how do I see myself playing with other people? How do I see myself... um, making my own choices and then how do i see myself making a difference in the the bigger the bigger picture how do i take in other people's feedback etc so i look at professional development as getting other focused not being so self focused but being other focused if you think of a classroom lesson think of a new teacher they could barely get the lesson done then they realize that there are kids in the room Woo! All kids. Then they realize there are different kinds of kids in the room. Then they realize that they want to do something in a variety with a bunch of different kids to make something bigger happen. It's a development of getting your brain kind of to open and to see things uh, in a more global way. And I think that if we could do that as professional developers, we actually develop the adult, not just develop the skills, but we develop their skill. Ability to grow and to see a bigger picture. We'd be in a better place I know that that's a lot but to me professional learning is different than developing an adult to see things in a more global way
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, like even when the work that I do, you know I consider the professional learning piece to be okay. This tool works this Mm -hmm. way or Mm -hmm. within a blended learning classroom uh, you can use this to do this but my when I talk about PD with teachers, when I work with PD with teachers, I'm talking about teachers being self-reflective. I'm talking mm-hmm. about teachers uh, developing themselves to the point of they know what their strengths are and where they want to go mm-hmm. and how they can ask me or tell me what they need in order for them to get, uh, Perfect. get better. Uh, because, you know, my thought process behind it is, What happens when you fire up Schoology and Schoology is down? (laughs) You you know what I'm saying? Like if all you had was professional learning, a lot of teachers can't adapt to that. They just, they lose it and they'll put that tool away and they won't go back to it. Mm -hmm. But those teachers who have been working and developing themselves, developing their craft, uh, understanding their why, Mm -hmm. if Mm Schoology is down, they go, okay, boom, that's down. I know exactly what I want to do, how I want to do it. This I can do it this way,
1: right? And, and they're not just able, the tool, yeah,
0: yeah. And they're able to just roll with it. So uh, that's my key,
1: mm-hmm. and why
0: I love it so much in terms of speaking with teachers and coaching with teachers mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't want them to freak out, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, uh, when something doesn't work. And I also want them to, quite honestly, get better mm-hmm. uh, and be able to work regardless of if our programs change, which in school districts they do all the time.
1: Yes, yes. Uh, so, Change is constant, strangely, as uh, a strange sentence. But yeah, if change is constant, then the question is how are you building up the internal core and um, sort of ability to roll with things, the ability to see things from different people's points of view, the idea to be uncomfortable to be comfortable with discomfort, to accept other people's points of view, that requires a core strength and a core knowing of your why, because then all the rest of it can actually kind of shift, and um, that's, a, that's a tricky thing. When coaches that are working with new teachers are so, if they know, first off, we have to induct people into the profession, so what does it take? What are the what are the classroom management things and the lesson planning things and all of that that's that's very developmental we got to get those nuts and bolts things down but once you get past that and then you can have a conversation about the why and the adding some new tools and the idea of what are we trying to get students to do way beyond our classroom that's the place that I think we need to be going and generationally we got to be doing it faster because some people won't be staying in the field for 20 years <laughs> to develop that. So that's a, that's an interesting kind of confluence of tensions that we have to work with.
0: Oh yeah, well most don't stay in the yep. teaching profession yep. uh, right. for, for, for 20 years. Uh, that's just a, the sad uh, part of it. Yep. Uh, so, you know, you've written a lot about communication and mm-hmm. uh, I've read some things like uh, Deborah Tannen, uh, I was first introduced to the whole sort of art of communication from her research. Uh, what makes a one an effective communicator, and why do so many leaders fail at communicating their vision to the mm-hmm. school community uh, or community at large?
1: Let me go to the second question um, the The fail to communicate the vision. Um, I think that what i 've discovered is that people are not pitching, as I mentioned before, with Ellie Drago Severson's work. They're not pitching their vision to the different needs and the different ears that people have. Um, and so, some people need nuts and bolts around what the where the vision is going. Some people need some where what's the why. Some people need. Um, Uh, to be with that person who's going to support them the whole time. I think people communicate a vision. They do it in writing. They say, we have a vision statement. They tout out one sentence here and there, but they don't realize that on the ground, people have to implement the vision. And so they have to be able to communicate to where somebody is at and what their their current need is. I also think that, This is so interesting. I've been watching people throw out words, and there's nothing wrong with these words, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to name a few. Engagement, inclusivity, uh, personalized learning, uh, infusion of technology, uh, increased rigor, uh, making sure students are uh, socially mindful. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but for some people, those words do not resonate into action. And people get uh, frustrated because that's what on the ground, at school sites, in uh, in, uh, in dining rooms, at, at home, doing their homework, it's like, what does this look like in practice? And so I think that vision people throw out a lot of big words and they're not wrong, but they don't pitch at the place that people need them to be in order for everybody else to get it and do something with it. And so that's what I think is sometimes a a problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does that make sense? We just don't, we say, you feel me, you feel me. And we don't feel you. You know what I mean? We don't know what that means. Um, and so it's very frustrating for some people. And they say, oh, these people who are always at the district office, they, they, they spout out these, like, big ideas, but those don't ever mean anything to me. I can't see it. And so I think that's where people get stuck.
0: Oh, definitely, because leadership needs to sort they re- really need to break it down mm-hmm. into uh, co- concrete uh, concepts and actions
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and, and model. Mm -hmm. so you know that's the great thing about you know my superintendent uh, because you know we have our mission statement as well and you read it and then I mean just reading it you can go (laughs) (laughs) uh, because as you said everyone can read it and take right sort of your own interpretation from it Mm -hmm. but you know he had a meeting and he said this is what this means you know, in terms of, we want our kids to have uh, options mm-hmm. that, you know, for post-secondary education. Well, in terms of options, I mean choices. So they have their choice. Students have their choice of careers in the military. Mm-hmm. You know, students be able to have their choice in employment to be able to take care of themselves mm-hmm. and someone else. So it wasn't just. You know, oh,
1: secondary, right. And so then, what does that mean? And so, what does that mean for your teaching? What does that mean for the school structures and the supports yes. that those kids are going to have? That's what we're talking about. Yes. So, you have to live it, you have to mm-hmm. walk it. And I think that um, and I appreciate superintendents and I appreciate even principals on the ground have to, say things that are sort of thesis statements you know mm-hmm. topic sentences and that other people are are to do the rest of the work but there are times when we need that communication pitched to us at levels that we feel like you're in it with us you see how we need to hear it you 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 know and then you can help us do that and that's where i think communication has in many ways from leaders fallen short. I think that we're not, that's one, that's the most important way. I also think that we also then have people who don't see the forest and only see the trees and they can't see the big picture and they can't inspire. Um, And so that's another way that people, you gotta be fluent across macro, micro, you know, you gotta be able to pitch at a bunch of different places. And as an English teacher, I guess I'm very interested in those words Mm-hmm. and how different words either create pictures or don't create pictures for different people. And it's just like your classroom. You have to personalize the learning for each kid. You have to try to differentiate to get to every child. The same thing for adults. And I think that's one of the things is that we don't shift ourselves for the adults because we think adults should get it. And I think that that's a mistake.
0: Mm. Okay, so go on with that, what makes someone an effective communicator?
1: Um, I think that, a few things. One, you're an active listener and you begin to hear beyond the words what the person's really valuing. You paraphrase, you get a sense that you are on, you are in sync with that person. Um, And then if you have things that you wanna request of that person, that you maybe have to direct that person to do if you were a leader in in education, that you watch your language so that the language doesn't inflame, so that the language clarifies, so that the language inspires. Um, And I I was just writing a a blog for Learning Forward yesterday. Um, You got to know your generational differences. You got to know which words are going to, um, make sense across different uh, regions. Uh, I'm talking to you and you're in Mississippi, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm in California. We have regional differences. Uh, we might have you're a man, I'm a woman. We might have gender words that trigger us. I think that a good communicator is very mindful of the identity of the person that you that you communicate that you that you listen. Um, And that you watch your language so that you can not trigger or inflame, but instead you get clear and you inspire.
0: Okay. Now, can we talk about about about, uh, cross-cultural communication? Yes,
1: please. I would love to.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Uh, So uh, I have not done the research on this. so I I cannot say empirically this is true. Yes. But I can say that, generally speaking, from my experiences, that let's say black people, our mm-hmm. parents, when you have a choice, you have a choice, <laughs> right? Yes. If, if not, if yes. they want you to do something, they I'll tell you, tell you <laughs> to do it. <laughs> yes. As, let's say, some middle class white people, mm-hmm. they infer. Mm-hmm. So they can say, Would you like mm-hmm. to take a bath at this moment? Now, right. they mean
1: we're going to, to the back i know right?
0: Yeah. but that's posed as a question correct uh but the student growing up but that child growing up in that environment that mm-hmm. person growing up in an environment they understand what that means
1: mm-hmm.
0: the black person mm-hmm. you have to. on our end we have to learn that sort of communication style yes. because that's not that's not a, por- a personal point of reference right for us correct right and so i bring it up to say that you know in situations like I, I've had to talk to a student once because he got in trouble. He got sent to the office because mm-hmm. the teacher thought that he was being disruptive because mm-hmm. she said, would you like to read paragraph three? And he said, no. <laughs> now, she asked him a question. She did. Instead, of, instead of saying, Marcus, would you like to read paragraph three? I um, mean, no, Mayor Marcus, please read, please read, please paragraph,
1: read paragraph three. three right.
0: <clears throat> he would have read that. And I told him, I said, I had to explain him the same thing. Like, listen. You got it. She meant you need to read that paragraph. Mm-hmm. But uh, So I understand that. So whether you're talking about students or you're talking about even uh, as adults, mm-hmm. you know, growing up. And if you have not learned those different cues mm-hmm. and you're in the workplace and someone may think you are being. Disrespectful. Uh, disrespectful or aggressive because you are, in fact, being direct. That's true. Uh, how does. How, I guess how do we learn
1: mm-hmm.
0: how each other communicate, and how can we overcome that mm-hmm. in order for that to be a more uh, successful exchange?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that uh, my i as my friend Edmundo so lovingly said to me, Jennifer, you're a Democrat. Yes, you have gay friends. You live in the Bay Area, but you woke up white this morning. <laughs> so I very much woke up white. Um, and I did, uh, I learn, I continue to learn uh, equity work. So your comments about Lisa Delpit's other people's children and the skin we speak and the would you like to take a bath uh, are things that I have I have worked on and studied that similar connection you could do to the generations. And I think that white dominant culture in schools very much is for many, many, many educators, sort of the referent culture and it's also a boomer culture. And so what I what I've noticed and and, and I have in the book, the multigenerational Workplace, is one of the key pieces was if a boomer who's you know sort of born right after World War II, they might be in their 60s, late 50s, 60s right now, well they're grad they're they're retiring at 65, 10,000 of them each day in the US. If they give feedback, they say, just something for you to think about, just something you might want to keep in mind, just a possible area of growth. And they do it in a suggestive tone. And my generation, the Xer generation, is a little bit more, can you just tell me what you want? And we get viewed as snarky and too blunt. But I'll tell you what really trips them up is that they offer that suggestive thing to a millennial who's in, you know, mid-30s to the beginning year teacher and the person says, that's a really interesting suggestion. That doesn't really fit where I'm at, but thanks anyways. And the boomer is absolutely stunned because they said it so diplomatically and the, the millennial just said, eh, nice idea, doesn't really fit me. What do you mean it doesn't fit you? I was asking nice, that's a code for you to get it done you need to figure it out. So I do trainings where I literally am like, we need to change our bluntness. You need to be clearer. It isn't mean to be clear, but they have learned to be suggestive and that people are supposed to read between the lines or under the surface. And so I try to actually... I'm like a vo- I call myself a voice coach. That's not going to be heard. You have to say it like this. You have to hear this if they don't, you know, and I literally talk about that, but it's a it's a generational shift in communication. Think about the millennials that you taught. How clear were they in terms of rubrics, models, Uh, um, self-assessments peer assessments checklists think about all of the stuff they had really done so beautifully and organized think of how much they're communicating not face-to-face on phones on email uh, listening to a podcast not being able to respond I mean it's it's we need to figure out what's the norm for different generations and how do we pitch ourselves to their their needs. And I think generation, race, gender, trigger words, things that make people flip out. Regionally, I need to say sir and ma'am down in your in your part of the the states whereas that might be seen differently here in our region, you know, why are you calling me ma'am? I'm not a ma'am. You know, I mean, it's just you got to know who you're talking to.
0: Mm. All right, I so think. let's Think with this uh, intergenerational differences, right? Uh, Well, how does that play out in public Mm. education?
1: In a PLC, if you have a professional learning community or a staff meeting or uh, any type of communication in that way. there might be a an Xer who's running the meeting and they could be offending people or not being clear with people in their communication. If you uh, have a, a PLC and the millennial is on the phone or on their computer the whole time and somebody who's more veteran says, why are you doing that? They're actually getting everything ready for a Google doc to send out to everybody, but it looks like a screen is up and they're completely distracted. Um, If I I literally was talking to, um, to somebody who they had a, uh, a person leave uh, like literally say I'm resigning and sent a text Uh, to resign, Um, and people were like, that's not how you do it. Uh, I've had people bring their parents into work with them when they were having a sick day and they just needed some additional help. There's some shocking things that actually play out day-to-day in our classrooms and in our PLCs that could be just generationally sticky, and we just see it, it. For example, how many sick days did you take? or your your more veteran teachers take. They never took sick days because of course you'd have like a compound fracture and pneumonia, but you'd never take a day off whereas a millennial will say I'm only here for a number of years so I'm going to take all my days this year and in fact if I need a mental health day, I'll just take it off or a Friday before the holidays or whatever. And it's like what? You know, like there's just differences that you'll watch meeting by meeting, uh, email by email that, that you're just like, this isn't 20 years ago. And the answer is you're right. So there are generational differences at play every hour, (laughs) every hour, in my opinion.
0: Wow.
1: Don't you think, I mean, look at you doing a podcast. Do you think 20 years ago we would have even had this? Uh. (laughs) And you were going to tweet it out and you're going to put it on SoundCloud I mean yeah. think about all the stuff you just went to model schools or you just went to ISTI think about that think about just that those conferences and how you know things have shifted it's pretty interesting
0: Yeah yeah it's uh, yeah, I mean yeah I cool.
1: mean, for for me
0: I don't The the difference, I I guess, especially for my job, I I have noticed that some of the older teachers are more reluctant Mm -hmm. to use the technology. Uh, So that has been sort of my reference to term generation, not necessarily
1: Mm -hmm.
0: education per se, but let's say their expectations of what teaching is. So the older teachers are not the ones generally to gravitate towards, oh, I want the computers in my classroom. The younger teachers generally are more Mm -hmm. receptive and then those who are around my age, they're (laughs) kind of like, well, let me see. Mm -hmm. Let me see how this goes before I, you know, jump in with both feet.
1: Yep. Little Little more mistrusting. But that's not just your technology. That's everything. If if somebody said, hey, we're going to now have to do this accreditation thing or do this thing, why? Why do we have to do that? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not so sure. I think that's just a hoop jumping kind of thing. So I think you'll see yes, it's personal to your technology, but it's not personal because they're just like that. We're a little bit more self-reliant, a little bit more like, is this really going to be efficient? I think that a more veteran teacher might at this point, and that is not true of everyone because I've got a 74-year-old colleague who is teaching me you know, how to upload video and do things. So it isn't everybody, but if, if stability or security or management or control, or I have my thing kind of organized, and I just like things to be more certain. Um, is a value to them, and you and you bring in something that they can't control, that is going to be very democratic, very uh, cooperative, very uh, collaborative, very. Uh, open to something outside their classroom, that could be very disturbing. Do you see what I mean? That that just sort of takes all of what they want out. If you believe in community, in democracy, if your values are uh, communication in a global way, you would say, bring on any any communication and I'll learn that. I'm not saying that these people don't believe in democracy and community and collaboration, but if you love kind of your niche a little bit more right now than the uncertainty piece of kind of putting it out there to everybody you're gonna feel a little less sure and and the the communication needs to be what are your values how can i ensure your need for those things and also help you bring in the other things you actually do care about In a way that doesn't freak you out and that is going to take a journey that's a journey
0: (laughs) awesome awesome now before we go
1: yes yes sir
0: what is your advice or your action plan on people having let's say those hard discussions Mm -hmm. because as of late (laughs) uh, we have a person in the White House whether you Mm -hmm. love him hate him agree or disagree there has been a shift in our country yes. uh, in how we view what an what an American is, how uh we should communicate those those, I guess, those values mm-hmm. uh, and how we should treat other people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And a school, it's a workplace. So it's like any other uh workplace where you'll have people of differing Mm -hmm. Uh, opinions uh Mm -hmm. political ideologies etc how should people now i mean i mean given the climate i mean how how are people supposed to have those discussions without wanting to uh you know pop their colleague in the mouth
1: yeah (laughs) um i certainly believe in something that i call school savvy etiquette and i put that in my uh I think in both of the first two books, um, there needs to be a way that we can communicate so that we continue the relationship after the communication. So how do you have healthy conflict? How do you disagree in a way that doesn't rupture uh, the relationship? And there are people that are working on that all the time. Elena Aguilar does it. uh, I do it. Um, Jim Knight talks about um, better conversations, Elena talks about the art of coaching teams. We we all are trying to figure out how to do it. And what I really don't say is, we should have healthy conflict, right? It's about how, what are your sentence starters? What are the norms that you actually need to have in the meetings? How do you um, seize the moment When somebody says something inflammatory, sexist, racist, homophobic, Islamophobic, um, and 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 I really do have things of what you actually say. Um, We had a. I'll just finish with one thing that there was a gentleman that was at my at my session I did on having hard conversations, and his comment about his school was, um, "Well, we would be we would have really high test scores if it wasn't for the Latinos." In my school, and then the question is, how do you say something humanely, but you have to say something no matter what, because that is emotionally damaging and not the, not the norm that I want to have for, for the workshop. So I said, wow, that's a really uncomfortable statement to hear, uh, particularly from this from the site administrator that was it. I said one sentence and he looked at me and he realized that that was an inappropriate thing. He, well, you're absolutely right. I mean, he he apologized without using the word apology, but you have to have norms and responses that don't escalate the conflict, but do allow you to stay humane, but stay strong. And there are just many resources out there. If you guys are interested in looking them up, because I don't think we shouldn't say something. I think we have to figure out how to stay civil while we say something and frankly, not, mod- not, not go with our, our role models right now. Uh, our president is not doing that. Um, and we, I respectfully disagree with so many things, uh, in terms of what he's doing, but I certainly, in terms of my professional work disagree with how he is communicating and I don't find it, um, something that we need to model in our schools or for our students
0: awesome awesome well thank you
1: oh thank you
0: very much for being a guest on the show uh people you know this is going up we're going to share this and and you'll be able to find ways to be able to uh connect uh with jennifer on social media uh as always invest in you adu peace